0: That's so the Good morning. Open your Bibles to the book of James. We're in a series in the book of James called Developing a Faith That Works. Today we're going to be looking at James chapter 4. The first 10 verses we're going to cover. James is going to talk to us about how to avoid arguments. Now, if you look up here on the screen, you'll see last week's message, it's very similar. How to relate wisely to others. Now, that was in chapter 3, the last verse of chapter 3 is verse 18, but do you notice how closely intertwined those two sermon titles are? This one here, how to relate wisely to others, if you relate wisely with others, you will avoid arguments with others, amen? Amen. I don't think it's any mistake that chapter 4 follows chapter 3. Now you do know, of course, that the Holy Spirit did not break the Bible down into book, chapter, and verse, right? You know that? Priests later on, scribes did that later on, years later. And so it's arbitrary where you want to break this down. I think it's kind of all one message flowing together from transitioning to three to four. Because the things he talks about are so similar. In verse 18, the last verse of chapter 3 last week, sort of the key verse, he said, And those who are peacemakers, are you a peacemaker? Or are you a troublemaker? Those who are peacemakers will what? They'll avoid arguments. Why? Because they're planting seeds of peace. Every day you're planting seeds of peace or you're sending p- seeds of anger. Nothing good can come from anger. But when you plant seeds of peace, you're going to reap a harvest of what? Goodness. Ah, that's what we're looking for. Goodness. Chapter 4 ties into chapter 3 so well because James understands that we're all selfish sinners. No amens on that one, huh? But haven't you noticed there's this terrible pull on us towards self? Even after you got saved, right? It didn't go away, did it? He's talking to the church in chapter 4. And you know what he's going to call them in this this chapter? He's going to call them a bunch of adulterers. He's going to call them a bunch of sinners. He's going to call them double-minded. And he's talking to God's people. Now, of course, today's message can fit in your life anywhere you want it to fit. You know, at work, at school, you know, wherever, with your neighbors. I kind of want to focus in on couples today, alright? I believe in marriage as staying together. And, and I want your marriage to work. But when two imperfect people come together to form a marriage, by definition, nobody has a perfect marriage. Because they're made up of imperfect people. And so today we're going to focus in on couples. And as I talk to couples, one of the most common complaints I hear is Bruce, we love each other, but, and you know, here comes the but, right? We just can't seem to get along. We love each other, but we always seem to argue. And parents, it's kind of the same thing. We're not going to focus in on parents, but the scriptures today will apply to that. Bruce, why is it that my kids and me are always in argumentative mode? There is a stage that that seems to be always the case, right? You remember picking your kids up from school and you say, how was today? How was school? Fine. Well, did you do anything new? No. Did you learn anything different? No. Well, why don't you talk to me? Well, why do you keep nagging me and blah, 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 argumentative mode just like that? It happens. But couples, we're going to focus in on this morning. What causes arguments? James asks in chapter 4, verse 1. What is the cause of arguments? Conflicting desires. That's it. Verse 1 reads like this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Couples think of your relationships this morning. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Really what James is saying here is, when my wants in the relationship conflict with your wants, sparks fly. Right? I want what I want, and I want it now. You want what you want, and you want it now. And when those things differ, sparks fly. And, and I think marriage just has built into it conditions for conflict. Remember your expectations before you got married of what your spouse would be like. I'm sure a lot of guys thought, you know, I'm going to come home from work every evening. As so I open the door, there's the little woman there going to have a greet me with the newspaper in one hand, a little kiss on the cheek on the other, my slippers, come to the easy chair, sit down and relax and take some time off. I'm about to finish up in the kitchen. The pot roast is almost done. I'm making the salad right now. And you can even smell the rolls. Oh, she'd been baking bread or homemade rolls. Every night you thought you were going to come home to that, right? <laughs> Not. <laughs> and, and what's she thinking, you know? You know, my knight in shining armor is going to come home, greet me with flowers and candy and say, Honey, I've made reservations. We're going out to eat. And he's even going to open the car door for me. Getting in and getting out. We're going to enjoy a wonderful meal. I mean, how unrealistic were your marriage concepts? <laughs> a little rude awakening, right? But see, I think all marriages kind of go through three stages. First, you got the happy honeymoon, right? And, and there is that you know new love, that new joy, that learning to, to love each other and get along in a whole new way, the happy money honeymoon. And then stage two hits. The party's over. And then you move into stage three. Let's make a deal. And that's really not so bad, because those that don't learn to make a deal and compromise and see what her needs are and what his needs are and kind of give each other a little bit of space, a little bit of room and understand... Those marriages just don't work. They fall apart. We don't want that. James doesn't want that. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You want what you want. She wants what she wants. And there's a clash. The key is learning how to handle conflict. And let's take a look this morning at three conflicting desires. First one, the desire to have. This kind of falls into the possession type of idea. I want a new car. I want new carpet. I want a new boat. Whatever it happens to be. I want it. I want it. I want it. The desires to have. You want what you don't have, he says in verse 2. You long for what others have. In America, we call it keeping up with the Joneses. Oh, look at the Joneses. They got a new car. You're looking out your window. We need a new car, honey. That old four-year-old thing out there that you just got the you know last payment on. Why do you want another payment, right? <laughs> I think I'm on my 14th or 15th year of my truck. I think I might need a new one. But we got to get a new car. Or they painted their house. Why don't we paint our house? Well, you know, the Joneses got new carpet. We should get new carpet. Now, the Joneses in the neighborhood that I grew up in were not called the Joneses. They were called the Sullivans. And the Sullivans, always on cutting edge. New cars, you know, new boats, new carpet. Remember when shag carpet came out in the 60s? What a disaster. But everyone wanted shag carpet there for a while, man. You lose something in shag carpet, you don't find it for a year. (laughs) I mean, your kids, there's my son, you know, there. (laughs) It was a fad for a while, but everyone had to have shag shag carpet. We eventually got it. What a mess. I mean, it just didn't work. But look at the Joneses' yard. Look how green their grass is. You think the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, you can also bet the water bills higher too. And you know what may look like the Joneses have it all together? But not really. Every night at their house, they're sweating how they're going to make the next payment. They're up to here, up to their eyeballs in debt. And they're fighting. And they're quarreling. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Is it not the desire to possess, to own, to enjoy, even when you can't afford it? See, folks, we are to use things and love people, but we got to just the opposite. We love to love things and use people, and then we use them all up. When they're no longer useful, we move on to the next. That's not what the Bible says. And it's not easy. We live in that kind of a culture. Every commercial says, get it, get it, get it, buy it, buy it, buy it. You know, $29.95 down, $29.95 a week for the rest of your life. You too can be the proud owner of whatever, by Ronco. <laughs> and you just got to get that thing. The desire to have leads to the desire to spend. The desire to spend leads to conflict. As a matter of fact, Gallup did a poll. And This was a poll of people that got a divorce. And of all the people that got a divorce in this poll, 56% of them said it was over money. It was over financial related issues. And so it is a big, big deal. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Aren't they those desires that battle within you? You want what you don't have. You long for what others have. Our Constitution doesn't read life, liberty, and the purchase of happiness. (laughs) Number two, the desire, second desire. The desire to feel. And James here is talking about that desire for pleasure. And there's nothing wrong with pleasure. We want to feel pleasure. You only want what will give you pleasure. See the word only? Did I bold that? Yeah. You only want. When you're living for pleasure and God, you don't find your pleasure in God, you've got it way out of balance. No wonder James calls them adulterers. No wonder James calls them double minded and sinners. You only want what will give you pleasure. It's not wrong to enjoy life, but when pleasure becomes your number one goal over people, you are asking for conflict. Why do you think people argue about sex and marriage so much? Well, when it's thwarted, resentment builds up. And then number three, the desire to be. The desire to have possessions. The desire to feel pleasure. The desire to be. This deals with pride. This deals with power. Prominence. Popularity. The me first generation. I think that's every generation. I can remember popular songs 30, 40 years ago. I did it my way. The me, myself, and I concept. I think every generation is kind of into self. We're kind of built in that way. We're born egocentristic. And that doesn't really change if you don't have God in your life. It's something, even when you do have God in your life, you have to work on. That's why we come together on a regular basis and we read God's word and we hear admonitions from James, like, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Well, your desire to have, your desire to feel, and your desire to be. That's what causes it. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10 says, Pride leads to arguments. P R I D E. Pride. pride. Have you ever been in an argument and then suddenly realize you're wrong? Now, you hadn't figured that out. I mean, you thought you were right, but then you, ooh, yeah, I was wrong. But you keep on arguing. You don't admit it. That's called pride. Pride cometh before the what? Pride. Very, very dangerous, dangerous thing. The next time you're in an argument, you need to stop. And ask yourself, is it worth it? Is it worth this? And if you'll humble yourself, you'll get, get that on straight. But if you don't, you'll end up like this couple. Did you see the movie Fireproof? This is a scene where Caleb comes in from work. He's tired. He's hungry. And Catherine's there. And, you know, there's nothing for Caleb. Well, you watch it. You'll see all these elements come together. Pretty heavy takes place every day in homes. Caleb obviously has some issues. Catherine does too. We won't deal with her right now. As a matter of fact, let's just focus in on Caleb today. Caleb has internet issues. Um, pleasure. Caleb has possession issues. A boat. Catherine has issues too. Everyone does. No perfect marriage. Why aren't our desires fulfilled? Look at verse 2. You do not have because you do not ask who? God. What was the last time you thought, rather than going into debt for something, asking God to help you with a situation, God seems to be the last person we go to. When we have a problem, when we have an issue, go to God first. You do not have because you do not ask God. And so we fret and there's no peace in our life. It's Oh, I like the old hymn, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in what? Prayer. Ooh. We forget that, don't we? I love the hymns. I like to sing, I passed the sojourner classroom this morning. They were singing the hymns in there today. I miss the hymns sometimes. Good messages. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. Philippians four verse nineteen. My God shall supply all of your needs. Now, he doesn't say all your greed,s but he does say all your needs food clothing shelter remember jesus said seek first the kingdom of god and all these things shall be added unto you what are the things he was just talking about food clothing shelter he'll provide hang in there I know what your number one conflict's going to be it will not be with your spouse it will not be with your neighbor it will not be with your friends it will not even be with yourself your number one conflict in life i have found is going to be with your god right don't you wrestle with god you ever looked up and said, God, why? 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 You know, we normally do that. And God's looking down and saying, instead of asking me why, why don't you ask, what do I want you to learn from this? What is a better question than why, Bruce? You're right, God. But I still want to wrestle with you. Jacob wrestled with God. Walked with a limp the rest of his life. You will not win. You will not win. But God does want you to wrestle with him. He'd rather have you wrestle with him than give up on him, right? Jacob never gave up on God. As a matter of fact, after wrestling with God all night, got his name changed to what? Israel. Israel. And every time he limped, he remembered, I wrestled with God. It was a reminder. You will not win. Pride causes arguments. Well, if pride causes arguments, what's the cure? See, James not only gives us the cause, he gives us the cure. The cause of arguments is conflicting desires, which are related to having possessions, feeling pleasure, and being prideful. And the cure we find in verses 6 through 10. The cure for arguments is humility. Verse 6, God gives grace to the what? Humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. And what is grace? Grace is God's power to change. That's it. When you turn to God and humbly admit, I can't do this. I, I can't change on my own. He then sees your humility and gives you the power to change. It's God's power. You can't do it on your own power. Do you see why you need a Savior? What would you like to change about yourself? What would you like to change about your marriage? What would you like to change about your family? Whatever it is you want to change, you're going to need God's grace and you're going to need God's power to make that happen. So let's quickly take a look at four steps to stop the fighting. First of all, give in to God. Verse 7, he says, submit. That's the word for give in. Don't, don't, don't fight God. You will not win. Don't fight Him. Submit to Him. Quit trying to run your own life. Your conflict with God is, who's going to be in charge? Me or God? I want to do it my way. God says, there's a better way. Well, God, another day. No. God says, Quit arguing, quit fighting, quit quarreling with me. Who's going to be in charge? When God is in charge, your irritation level will go way, way down. You won't even get as irritated with other people when they don't live up to your expectations. Because you're letting God be in charge of even the other people. Colossians 3 verse 15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. I want God's peace in my heart. Let it rule. And the result is you'll have peace with other people and you'll lead a happier, healthier life. You won't be so uptight. Stop praying in your relationships. Lord, change my partner. Lord, change my partner. Well, Bruce, you said to pray for our partners every day and I'm asking the Lord to change them. That's not what I meant. What I meant was, Lord, change me. You start asking God to change you and watch what happens to your relationships. Number two, you not only give in to God, submit yourselves to God. Verse 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. In other words, get wise to Satan. Get wise to Satan. Realize that Satan is the source of your conflicts. Satan is the source. Satan hates you. He hates your relationships. He hates your family. He doesn't want anything good to happen in your life. Get wise to that, James says. And the word for resist the devil is, is, this, is a military term. It's a war term. It literally means be prepared to withstand an attack. Understand the enemy's coming. The enemy will try to attack you. You resist. You be prepared when that attack comes. That's the concept. The devil wants to, restore, to destroy every good relationship you have. Why? Because he loves conflict. Haven't you noticed that about Satan? Does anyone remember the first murder in the Bible? It took place in a family. Who killed who? Cain killed Abel. And the devil laughed. He stirred up that relationship to the point that Cain was so furious That he slew his brother. And the devil loves that kind of thing. And that's why Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11, in order that Satan might not outwit us, too many times we've been outwit by Satan. We are not unaware of his schemes. What Paul wants us to realize, and what James wants us to realize this morning, is the devil has schemes. The devil has plans to mess up your life and to mess up your relationships. And so, once you're aware that's his goal, that's what he's trying to do, when you see it coming on, you'll have your resistance ready and you won't fall for the trap. The devil will say things like this He loves to play on our pride, especially wounded pride. And when your pride gets wounded, you want revenge. And the devil will whisper in your ear things like this. You don't have to take that kind of stuff. You don't, have to, you don't have to put up with that. Retaliate, retaliate, retaliate. And just before you get ready to retaliate, remember what the Bible says. Resist, resist, resist. And the devil will flee from you. Because when you retaliate, the whole relationship falls apart. And God doesn't want that to happen. So you might want to say something like this. And you might even want to say it out loud if no one's around. Devil, I know what you're up to. I mean, if someone hears you talking to the devil, they might think something's weird. (laughs) But if you're by yourself, Satan, I know what you're up to. I know your schemes, I know your plans, I know you're trying to destroy my relationship, and I'm on to you. I'm not going to let you get away with it. Do you see the wisdom in that? Ah, the Word of God is so powerful. Number three, you're not only given to God, you not only get wise to Satan, but you grow closer to God. Verse 8, come near to God and He will come near to you. How do you grow closer to God? Well, you put yourself under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And until Jesus is Lord, you're going to be playing Lord. That was Adam and Eve's problem. They wanted to be God. And they thought God was holding out on them, so they ate of the forbidden fruit, and they found out, ah, God wasn't lying at all. It was my pride, my desire. What causes quarrels and fights among you? My desires for possessions, for power, for pleasure and pride. They wanted to be God. How do you get closer? Well, how about praying every day? How about reading your Bible every day? How about having a quiet time? How about being a part of a growth group, a small group? Keep yourself accountable, keeping short accounts with God you say well how does this, how does this affect my arguments? Well, the more time you spend with God, the better you'll get along with other people isaiah twenty six three says he will keep him in perfect peace all those who trust in him, whose thoughts Turn often to the Lord. Often to the Lord. Do you pray daily? When was the last time you prayed? When was the last time you asked God? Or thanked God? Fourth step. Be willing to ask forgiveness. Now this is a tough one. Fonzie had a real problem with this. Saying the two words, I'm... Sorry? Boy, that would date you if you remember happy days, right? (laughs) Be willing to ask for forgiveness. Why? You're going to blow it. And you're going to have to tell people you're sorry. But guess what? Other people are going to blow it towards you. And you're going to want them to say they're sorry too. So why don't you set the example? Why don't you take the lead and do what the Bible says for you to do? Wash your hands, verse 8 says. Purify your hearts. Let there be tears. Tears. For the wrong you've done, don't minimize your part in it. Don't minimize what happened. If someone says you hurt them, then you've hurt them, and you say, "Well, it's not really wasn't a big deal." It was a big deal to them. Maybe not to you, but it was to them. Where do you begin? James says you begin by apologizing. You ask for forgiveness. But Bruce, you don't understand. They were 95% wrong, okay? You take responsibility for the 5% you were wrong and let God deal with their 95%. You let it go. Turn them over to God. That's wisdom. But you're 5%, you better be genuine in your apology. He says, Let there be tears. Has someone ever come to you in tears apologizing for the hurt, the pain, the suffering that they caused you? It requires humility. We fast forward in the movie. That's humility, wasn't it? Humble yourselves. Verse 10 says, Before the Lord, and He will lift you up. God doesn't want to keep you down. He's not your enemy. The way to honor is humility. The secret of satisfaction is in Jesus Christ. He will never, ever, ever let you down. Humble hearts means you start by submitting and receiving God's saving grace. Let's pray. This has been a powerful section of Scripture, God. This peace has been somewhat uncomfortable, really. May it penetrate the hearts of those that haven't submitted to you yet. If there be one that has not named you as their Lord and Savior today, may they do so. I pray that they will humble themselves through the power of the Holy Spirit to commit to the Lordship of your Son, Jesus. Work that work in every heart for your glory. And Lord, thank you for your word. It is so practical, and it helps us to the very areas of our life that need it most. Use this message today in our lives, this week, so that we can have less conflict and more love and more joy and more peace in our relationships. And now you pray. Maybe you would say in your heart, Lord, would you help me? to think of others and not just my own desires. Lord, help me to be willing to admit when I'm wrong. God, would you give me the power to change and become the person you've always wanted me to be and that I wanted to be. I give you my life. I give you my marriage. I give you my career. I submit it all to you. I ask you to put the peace of Christ in my heart. Help me to get wise to Satan's schemes and not fall for that prideful thing again and again and again, to realize that he's playing on my pride, which only makes matters worse. Father, help me to grow closer to you, keep me close to you, draw near to you, to make time in my schedule for you. In Jesus' name, amen.